another episode of the Uptime Punks, and it's the Asia edition. So all that's new in the data center world um, in Asia. And normally you'd hear uh, my co-host Paul Hammer, but it's me, it's Tim, and it's my first Asia edition with Kasha San, and we have a special guest today. And I'm looking forward to, you know, banter and uh, learn a lot and yeah, see what's new um, uh, in that part of the world. Cash, how are you doing? I'm, I'm very good, Tim. Uh, how are you? I hope Paul's feeling better better soon. I, I hear he's under the weather with a bit of um, tonsillitis. He reassures me it's, it's not COVID-related, so hopefully he's back on his feet soon. Exactly, yeah. The reason I have this on is actually Paul not being able to speak, so he needs to kind of keep his voice down, which, yeah, for a change is quite nice. No, sorry. Um, now, we hope he gets um, better soon. And... Um, yeah, he's he's all right. So he um, he said he will too much definitely... podcasting, eh? Say again, too much podcasting. Too much po- yeah. yeah, too much podcasting. Too much podcasting, cycling in cold weather. I don't know what what, what is it tonsillitis? Uh, how you get tonsillitis? Even I, I don't even know. But yeah, I, I don't think I'm I'm a medical practitioner, so I don't think my um my opinion would uh, amount to much. But I hope whatever it is, he's. Uh, I don't know. Can you get tonsillitis from uh, cycling in the in the cold weather? Then perhaps uh, perhaps so hopefully he's feeling better better soon for sure yeah now and we're glad it's not covid yeah and then we also have um um darren webb um on the podcast darren hi how are you i'm good i'm good tim thank you for having me on thank you to cash for for uh the invite i uh, also like to wish paul well um not not question that he's sick at all but notice you've had a lot of hot weather for the last few days um, and funnily enough, people generally call in sick, right, after a few days of nice hot weather. So, but I'm sure in his case, he's absolutely authentic and, and he hasn't been at the pub drinking. Uh, well, you guys have been at the pub drinking, right? <laughs> Cash and Darren. So uh, tell me, what did you banter about? By the way, yeah, we'll come to your job title and what you do later. But so how has it been at the pub? Uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're always uh, appreciative of being able to go to the pub because, as we know, uh, that hasn't always been the, the case. So, yeah, we're very, very grateful uh, not to be in a, in a lockdown situation. And you know, Singapore is you know, continuing to do you know, a fantastic job of you know, balancing the public health risks with COVID and, of course, you know, trying keeping the, the society and the economy um, open. So whilst we're not... You know, fully opened up yet. 80% of the population has been vaccinated, which is you know, good news. And we are able to at least to go around the majority of our you know, working day in terms of going into the office, going to the gym and you know, having a pint um, once or twice a week. Isn't that right, Darren? Yeah, and t- Tim, the only thing I can say, the other thing that is not fully open is Cash's wallet because uh, I, he, he certainly didn't pick up the tab. So, uh, that, you know, he told me it's something to do with COVID and not being allowed to be fully open. So, there you go. Yeah, isn't yeah. there, like, contactless payment? People have been through a tough time recently. I don't know if you know, Darren, but uh, there are exhibition people. Um, the mice industry as a whole has been through some challenging times. So, the, the budget is, is not what it was, what it, what it used to be. <laughs> but note it. <laughs> <laughs> good times ahead, Cash. Good times ahead. Always good times ahead, for sure. Better times ahead. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, Darren. Shall we speak about you? You launched a new business, um, a fairly new business. Um, I see in April 2021. So, um, 
during COVID and um, you are the co-founder and CEO of Evolution Data Centers. Um, so maybe just in a nutshell, who are you? What do you do? Just in two phrases and then we'll, uh, then we'll roast you with our usual um, uh, intro questions. Okay, so uh, two phrases, wow. So um, uh, like I said, co-founder, CEO of, of, a, of a new data center platform focused on emerging markets in Asia. Um, with a particular passion for sustainability at our core. Mm -hmm. um, myself, British, been in Singapore 10 years, uh, 20 years in telco, so kind of man and boy in telco, as a, a lot of your guests have come from the telco world and transited into the, into, uh, into the data center world. Same for me, so, so that's probably a, a two-phrase answer to your question before the roasting begins. Yeah, it's not so much of roasting from my side. I think it's that's more cast job later on. But now we always ask the same set of questions to our guests because then we can kind of, you know, um, it's it's rude to ask people their age nowadays. And um, how you can determine that um, in an indirect way is always asking, you know, what was your first mobile phone? You know, I'm pretty sure it was a Nokia. Right. I'm pretty sure it was, I, I can't remember the model, but it was the, the one, the very small screen. So pre 6310, I think, pre that one, uh, had a little, little area on top. Um, it was brilliant, right? I'm, I'm sure a lot of your guests have, have said the same thing. You know, these, these things could, you didn't need to charge them for weeks, but they were, they were a basic phone, right? And, and some SMS and uh, one or two pretty rubbish games. Um, but they were just life-changing. I was probably 17, I think, when I got my first mobile phone. Um, and, and it just just changed the dynamics of, of how you interacted with your group of friends at that point. You know, before you used to have to go around and, and knock on their door to see if they wanted to go and play football, not knowing whether they were in or out. And suddenly you could actually find out before you wasted a, a journey to their house. So it was, a, yeah, I remember it was just happened. Just amazing change to our, our lives. And that's, pre-smartphones right that's that's just basic hand phone right so is, is is that is that something that uh got you into the telco industry later on or you know it's that that's a great question i i i'm pretty sure you've heard this before from other people i, I kind of fell into it so i joined a company called mercury communications which mm -hmm. which after about two or three months became cable and wireless um, and cable and wireless has a very long history um out of, out of the uk um, you know, set up many of the, the local entities in, in Far East, in, in Middle East. And, and so it was a very, you know, very, uh, very large geographically spread organization. And actually why I joined in, in all honesty was I just saw a big company and I saw there must be opportunity, right? And it's a global company. And if I do well, maybe there's opportunities that I can create, get down the line. So there was, it was, it was, Probably pre the telco boom, um, but it was it wasn't a, it wasn't a defined choice to say yes telco is the place. It was more global organisation. Hopefully, lots of opportunity. And, and and frankly, it it turned out to the case. So so it was probably probably not a bad decision I made back then. Mm -hmm. So you said it was before the telco boom. Did you leave before the telco bubble burst then? No, I hung on. I hung on <laughs> waiting for the second for the second bubble. No, it was a. You know, I remember some funny times when we were kind of young sales guys sitting in, uh, salespeople sitting in London, um, where we stayed for a few years. Uh, and we were probably making more money just refreshing the internet to see how much our shares had gone up than we were in our day job. Um, and it was just crazy days, right? The, the boom just 
and, and you just felt that it was never going to stop na- naively of course and uh to give you a quick story i, I think i uh, you know my, my my particular shares at one point got up to about just under 15 pounds i think uh, i think i sold them for about 37p eventually so so that so whilst i made not a bad decision joining telco that was a particularly terrible decision not not selling my shares but but we just thought everyone thought it was just going to carry on right but it was just crazy days of investment people you know buying up lots of lots of MA, lots of you know lots of mergers it was just a really really fascinating times but, but of course it, it it didn't last yeah yeah, so now you're in another booming industry, but more, more, more to that later. So uh, what, what, what was your first uh, computer then? Uh, you know, it, it, the first one I saw, I think, my brother's two and a half years older than me. And, and I remember him getting this truly, I mean, in hindsight, this hideous looking typewriter type product. Uh, and it was a yeah. BBC Micro, he tells me, which was an Acorn, uh, Acorn brand. Um, it had tapes that you put in to, to play the games and it, and it made all kinds of funny noises. And, you know, I remember that uh, there was a, I think there was a tennis game on there and you kind of serve and about a minute later that, that kind of box ball would have made its way over to your side of the screen. And then you, a minute later you hit it back and uh, <laughs> it's just scary how that turned in, you know, over a 30 year period into the games my son plays on, you know, live against other people all around the world. And live events on on Fortnite or Roblox or whatever it is, and the the graphics are just unbelievable now. I can't quite work out whether whether I'm looking at virtual reality or just or just gaming. So uh, yeah, it was a very different experience back then. But my brother's very much into computers. Um, I, I I really wasn't actually. I never really got. I was never really a a, a kind of computer. I don't want to say geek, but, but I was never really a techie. Yeah, yeah, that's that's interesting because you. You, you aren't a techie, hence you um, have founded a, a data center business. Um, yeah. so, what, what, what made you do that? And then, it was, uh, go on. No, 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 go on. Yeah, it was, we, saw, we saw an absolute gap in the market, right? And, and, and we're very clear on that. So um, if you look at, data centers you know of course they're booming right so asia is asia is a booming market and and we and we've all seen the stats you know of asia overtaking in in terms of total size past north america wherever it's happened now is about to happen so it's, it's a huge market but but that's partly the problem we call it a market and, and in reality it's not it's incredibly fragmented right so it's a it's a number of individual countries so it's very very different from the us north america which is of course you know, one or two countries, depending on, on, on how you look at it, and even Europe, because whilst uh, whilst Europe is, is individual countries, of course, there is a set of regulations that sit across all of it, and and, and you know the and even the currency, of course, in, in most of it. So mm-hmm. it's very different in in Asia, which, and cash can testify to that. So we we call it a market, but in fact, it's it's ten, twelve separate markets, and and they're all very different, and and the and the uh, you know the, the the ability to to the barriers to entry are very different. The regulation, if there are any, is very different, and and there's not always regulation for data centers specifically in, in many of these sites. Is many that good locations. or bad? I think it. Look, I think it's, I think it's, a bit of both actually, because regulation. What what will happen? I, I know we're kind of jumping into the meat of things here. What will happen in my view, if we as an industry in Asia don't sort ourselves out, don't start putting sustainability at the core of what we do rather than an afterthought of what we do. 
then regulation is going to step in and and take our and and take those decisions away from us, right? So um, if if we keep using coal-based um, power, you know, at some point government regulation will kick in. Now it won't be the same time in each country, and that's the point about it being a fragmented fragmented mm-hmm. region. Um, but inevitably it will happen. And if it doesn't happen from regulation, it happens from customer pressure, right? So um, I would say it's good in the sense of if you go into some of these markets today as a new entrant, which we, we which we are, there's not uh, there's not data center regulation, right? So it's actually mm. you know a lot of it the build the build construction is is the same as if it's a commercial property. So it's good, right? Because you're not having to go through an extra level of of permitting or an extra level of licensing. Um, so that's good. I mean, you you know it's it's removed the barrier to entry. So um, but at the same time, regulation is good if the industry is not well behaved right because it's basically it becomes the policeman for the industry so i would say it's great it's not there but it's worrying that if we don't as an industry get ourselves our act together in asia then then you know some someone's going to do it for us whether it's our customers or whether it's regulation so you you say you you don't call it a market you write i think somewhere on your website that um the data center market green data center market is valued at Third, no, 53 billion US dollar. Is that for Asia alone or is that a worldwide figure? That's, that's global. But, you know, that's and global. it's an interesting term, right? And, and even, you know, I, I, we are learning as evolution every day and I'm learning as, as, as an individual every day. And, and you know, we, we're trying to now avoid talking about green data centers. Yeah, I'd rather that's why you're greener, here today. <laughs> yeah, but I'd rather talk about greener data centers. Because I think if you say yeah. green, you're kind of setting yourself an impossible task, right? If you say... Yeah this thing we're going to construct is going to be zero carbon well straight away that's really i mean i would say it's impossible you can say it's net zero okay that's 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 good in terms of you're going to you're going to do something else good somewhere else to make up for the footprint of carbon you've created here but if you just say we're going to do the best we can do with the materials and the infrastructure and the equipment available to us at the time to limit the impact as much as we can for me, that's a very sensible target. So, you know, I, I, I think green data centers get confused with green financing and ESG. Um, I think as an industry, we should be aiming for greener data centers. So mm-hmm. being much more sympathetic of the, of the environment uh, that we're in and around us. So uh, that's where, where evolution is heading. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do, you, do you make a distinction between green and sustainable? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I do actually because green because we we've taken we've taken a a a, a word and and made it, made of it what we will, right? So we talk sustainability for me is much wider thing. But so for sustainability, um, you know that that's a much wider. So it's not just about power usage. Um, it's not just about utility usage, whether it's water as, as well. Um, it could be about the you know your your CSR. So what are you doing to create a better environment around you? And, and you know, I was listening to one of your podcasts earlier with uh, Sunita from, from Supernap, and, and I thought some of the things that, that she was talking about were amazing, right? You know, so, you know, looking to, to help, because we're, you know, Cash and I sat in Singapore, and we're very, very fortunate to do so. We're in a very privileged society when it comes in, relative in, in, in Asia terms. Some of the markets evolution are looking at aren't the same, right? There, there, are, there are poorer parts of the community. Um, and, and I think there's a social responsibility that can come under sustainability that also looks at that, right? So it's not just about you. It's not just about you as a building. It's you as a 
entity and, and what it what it is you can do to 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 be sympathetic of the environment around you. So green it green, I think, is mm-hmm. where people talk about power. Really, I mean, I think it's so, power utilities. Yeah. Uh, sustainability is a much broader concept, I think. So, so you know, I've also got to check myself sometimes because I generally I sometimes jump too quickly into renewable energy, and, and yeah. that's just a part of sustainability, right? A mm. big part for me, a huge part, but but it's not sustainability, you know, in, in its entirety. For sure. So also maybe just to clarify, I know many have heard it, but you, you just made a very valid point about renewable energy. Um, and there is some kind of, not dishonesty maybe, but some kind of superficiality when it comes to that term. Um, and you've pointed that out when we discussed um, before the podcast. Can you maybe just uh, clarify that point when you talk about renewable energy and then maybe talk about net zero? So, and what's what's kind of grinding your gears there? Yeah, look, and it does grind my gears, right? Because um, <laughs> you know, I think I think part unless you acknowledge you've got an issue, you can't deal with it, right? So, if if it's an industry we're all saying we're all doing great, mm. then then there's no problem to solve, right? Then there's no. Then we're then we're basically saying, why look at us? We're we're okay. We we all know, data centers are, are huge guzzlers of, of energy, right? So, depending on on the on the stat you hear, but it's probably something like seven to ten percent right, of of either the world or an individual country's consumption. I think Singapore is around that number, maybe maybe a little bit higher. So so there's no. There's, if we accept that we're huge users of energy, but we are supporting, I think. Paul uses the phrase the lungs, right? I don't know if it's Paul or you use the phrase the lungs of the of the world, but with we're supporting a digital infrastructure, whether it's e-commerce, e-banking, gaming, whatever it may be, right? Um, I even ignored the enterprise cloud piece there. Um, but for me, there's you know there's things going on today, particularly in Asia, more so in Asia than the US and Europe, where we've got some of our big our leaders. Our, our, and of course, I, I won't name them. It wouldn't be fair or appropriate to do that. Our, our leaders in in the industry, the biggest organisations that that were on their website saying that they're, they're providing in Singapore today, their sites are 100% renewable power. And I say, you're not. You know that's so. Why why not be more transparent and say the fact is you can't get that kind of scale of power in a renewable power in Singapore because we don't have the natural resource to do it right so it's not a criticism to say you use credit in a place where only credits is really available um I, I'm, i'm more annoyed when they're doing it in a place where renewables was available readily available which we got go on to in, in, in a little while but i don't i don't really get the lack of transparency and why we're trying to pretend to ourselves in that situation that we're 100 renewable why don't we just come out and say singapore does not have that that capability i think You had someone from Google, Michael Terrell, on, on uh, some time back, maybe last year, and I think his stat was in Singapore, Google the consum- of the total consumption that they source renewably is three percent, right? And and he goes, that probably makes sense, right? Because there's a bit of solar floating around, right? The, the cash knows, and some investment going to that part. There's solar's on rooftops now, but it's probably around there. So what by default, if I had the stat right, he's saying 97% is not renewable power. And that makes sense, right? So how can the next guy be 100% renewable power? It doesn't make any, there's no logic to it, right? So, so it does it does frustrate me. Um, but I, in, in some ways, you know, we, we've got to get better as industry. But if, if, that's, if that's the way 
some operators want to operate that they they just want to greenwash it and say no we're all good um no problem here that's okay but there'd be other people other operators coming in not just us but others that say no but there's another way of doing it but more importantly than than us our customers will drive that change you know the big cloud guys will say are you helping me or hindering me with my 2025 commitment, my 2030, 2030, whatever it may be? Are you helping me or hindering me? And if your site is fully coming fully off the grid, coal base, you're probably hindering me. And if there's another option, I would expect you to have taken it. And if you're not prepared to take it, then I'm going to reserve the right to either come out of that site or, or go and source that power myself. And, and we're already seeing that from some of the big cloud guys. So there's a there's a, a sea change coming in, in this part of the world. Um, and, and I'm not sure everyone's really accepted that or acknowledged that. Right. Cash, do you, do you think, do you think, do you agree with Darren here? Do you think um, that it's the cloud guys who will drive the, this change or if I got that correctly? Well, it's interesting that Darren mentioned um, regulation and people talking about the regulatory environment. And to some extent, we've already had that here in Singapore with the moratorium, right? And they've literally said, look, we're going to take um, a pause on building data centers. And then when you kind of dig into that, the majority of the data centers, from what I understand, uh, are in the middle of their lifespan and were designed without sustainability or energy conservation in mind. So what Singapore has said, and it's, it's, it's misunderstood, is look, we want uh, quality over quantity. So what they're doing right now, it's a relatively you know, smaller city country when you compare it to the other tier one markets such as you know, Tokyo, Sydney, and Hong Kong, yet it comes in second in terms of IT capacity. So it's kind of punching you know, well above its weight. So just to understand, to some extent, the regulatory environment is already um, dictating how they want either new data centers to be built or current data centers to be you know, upgraded with newer technologies. And whether that be you know, things like direct um, li liquid cooling and you know, Darren, I'm sure can go into you know, some of the aspects around um, air and cooling management and passive cooling and all of that kind of great stuff. The one thing I would say though, and this kind of came up in a conversation that we were you know, having it over a, over a beer last night was that you know, everybody is quick to point the fingers at, at data centers, but the fact of the matter is their ability to handle IT load has increased. You know, everyone talks about digitization and how exciting it is and how COVID has accelerated the digital transformation. And, you know, I'm on other CIO podcasts talking about, you know, the great benefits of running a digital business. But everything that that creates, creates more IT load. And data centers are essentially handling, and I think, what did you say, Darren, about six times the IT load on the same power? What was the, the point you were making last night? I thought it was excellent. I can't remember which point of how many beers down we were at that point. Well, you made many that's excellent right. points. <laughs> yeah. You should, have, you should have recorded them then, and that's the, that was the learning there. Yeah. I can't remember. But, but, but you know, just, just to add, so for, for me, Tim, it's not, sorry, but I'm, it's not just about customers. So for me, there's four, there's four groups or, or four stakeholders, four groups of stakeholders. One is government. And, and to Cash's point, when, when I talk about, of course, the markets we're focused on are, are the tier two markets. So Singapore being a tier one market, regulation has happened here in terms of moratorium. I would say that we haven't seen anything like that in, in the other tier two markets in Asia, right? But, but that's not to say it couldn't, it couldn't happen. 
Um, and then at the outset, so you've got governments that can make regulation, right? That can bring in regulation to, to change how you operate or, or stop how you operate it, which is the case in Singapore to some degree. At the other end of the scale, right at the bottom, you've got consumers, right? And so um, for consumers, I, I kind of loosely or, 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 or also say that could be individual customers, right? Consumers as individuals or, or those individuals who work for, for entities becoming much more informed about sustainability, you know, and, and starting to make lifestyle decisions about who, which brands they start to associate themselves with and which ones by default they don't associate themselves with, right? So who shares their, their vision for, for sustainability goals? Who is transparent about what they are doing and what they aren't doing? And, 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 and of course, we've all heard about single plastic and it's, and it's all great stuff. Um, but but there's, a, there's a groundswell of opinion coming now and you can see it. And, and I'd say it's definitely lagging in, in Asia compared to Europe and North America again, but it is happening. You know, consumers are starting to make informed decisions that I don't want to be seen to, to work for that company because they don't they don't share my view. And then in between, you've got the operators. So people like, like myself and, and of course, a, a lot of others. Uh, and, and we're there to make money, right? Let's know, I, I can't think of one data center operator in the world that's a charity. We're all there to make money and, and we're all, in, in the vast majority of the cases, all investment fund backed. And, uh, you know, of course, they, they, they've done that for one reason, which is to, is to make money. So, you know, we, our, our ability to self-police ourselves is always going to be constrained by our, our desire to make money to some degree, right? And it was, so what I'm saying is that other group is the, is the cloud customers who we're all, in the vast majority of cases, all trying to attract. They're the ones that can have direct pressure on you, right? The governments can in Singapore's case because they made a moratorium, but again, in the markets, I, I, I hope Cash would agree, in the other Asian markets, we're not really seeing that. Certainly in tier two, there's, there's really no government intervention in, in a data center space. Um, consumers are starting to have a groundswell, but it's not really kicking in, of course, to, to that kind of level of choice, whether it's this cloud company, this cloud company. So it's really those cloud companies in those markets that are going to determine Okay, who do we want to work with? Who, if we, if the colos can't provide it for us, are we going to build ourselves? Or if it is colos, are they going to help us with our commitments, or are they going to hinder us with our commitments? So, you know, that's why I say that, and that will change. That dynamic will change in the US. It will change in Europe. But in Asia, where there is no, not too much government intervention in tier two, there is some consumer swell. Operators aren't self-policing, so therefore it becomes about the power customer saying, okay, well then we, your site doesn't work for us. Right. Um, tell us a bit about how you how do you operate in those tier two markets? Um, what's so interesting about them? Um, why did you choose um, to go to these? Uh, how do you say evolving um, markets and areas? Yeah. Look, there's there's two. I mean, there's 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 two. There's one really positive reason, and and then there's one um, about barriers to entry. So. If you look at the tier one markets, I, I, I'll do the slightly negative one first, but if you look at the tier one markets, so Singapore, uh, Tokyo, Japan, Australia, Hong Kong, um, I think I've covered them all. Um, you know, the, uh, Jakarta, maybe, you know, Jakarta's become very busy over the last couple of years. There's lots of barriers to entry. So whether it's the moratorium in Singapore means you, even if you wanted to start here, you, you couldn't. In Hong Kong, land prices, or in Tokyo, land prices are incredibly high. Australia, a lot of big announcements recently about more deployment. So there's there's barriers to entry, whether it's whether it's uh, from the from a regulatory point of view or from a market point of view. It just means it's hard to go and set up as a as a new entity and expect to to kind of compete well. 
So we don't want to do that, right? So we're focused on tier two emerging markets, or, or I, I like to call them high growth markets as well. So these are, they, they share a commonality. Um, they are quite immature from a data center perspective, probably generally telco dominated. And, and as we said before, I came from telco, so I have pretty good insight into, into telco uh, environment in terms of how they view data centers. Um, not much international, therefore not much international um, uh, players, but they're, they're of course coming in, in large numbers in many of these places. But fundamentally, high population, you know, these, these are places where, you know, up to 100 million people, right? And that's really important because in one of the markets we're looking at, something, it's something like 30 million people don't yet have a smartphone, right? And, and what's going to happen to those people, Tim, right? That the reality is the vast majority are going to skip, you know, they're going to skip a fixed network. They're going to go straight to a, to a mobile network. And they're probably going to go straight to a 5G mobile network right? with very cheap bundled data. And what are they going to do? They're going to go crazy, right? They're going to go data crazy, right? They're going to be downloading apps all night long. I mean, in in the Philippines, as an example, I think it's 11 hours a day average user, average, the average user is on the internet. And four hours of that is on uh, social media. So it's actually, you know, it's Facebook, it's one of their biggest markets, right? Because there's 100, up to 100 million people there. It's just enormous. You know, Cash and I are sat in, in a country where there's, or city state where there's, you know, six, six million, six and a half million. So it's, you know, it's a multiple times that, that type of population. Uh, and like I said, you know, there's 30 million of new addressable customers coming onto the market. And we're not a mobile operator, of course, right? And have no interest in being. But where does all that data go? It goes through a data center. Right. Then you look for other commonalities. Where's, where is there, even these are growth markets, where is there other digital infrastructure starting to see investment? So whether it's subsea cables. And in Asia over the last two months, we've seen a huge number of subsea cable announcements. I mean, just uh, on right. one day, there was two. You know, it was, it was a crazy day, a crazy Monday where two people announced cable systems. Um, so, so that tells you, yeah, quick, quick, quick shout out to Nicole. She was talking about subsea cables a couple of episodes ago. So, um, yeah, if you remember that yeah. episode or if you want to know more about subsea cables, go back a couple episodes. We talk about them in depth. Sorry, I, I didn't mean to interrupt you. That's all right. I, I'm quite fortunate because I spent quite a bit of time looking at subsea cables at Cable Wireless. So, but I, I, I did listen to, to a session. It was great. Um, but yeah, that, that's, a, that's always a good sign, right? If, if, the, if the subsea cables are going in, that means that market is starting to get ready for a data boom, right? So then you'll start to see power companies being invested in. Then you'll start to see fiber being deployed through non-telcos. Then you'll start to see data centers coming in. And each of them plays a key component, right? None of them can exist without the other. Um, and, and generally, you start to see a bit of deregulation coming in, whether it's formal or informal. So in one market, for instance, uh, you know, it was a traditional telco market, but a new third, a new third mobile break has come in that's from a, from China. So that, you know, you're starting to see some deregulation or, or more competition come in. These are all signs that that market is about to do, you know, a great analogy is Jakarta. You know, we, we if you looked two, three years ago, Cash will know this very well, you know, that, that we all knew there was a hockey stick coming in terms of, of, of data growth or cloud adoption. Uh, and it kind of pushed out a little bit but then it just hit and it just hit big. And, uh, you know, now everyone and their wife is building a data center in, in Jakarta. Um, so the markets we're looking at, generally high population, generally under, underserved today from a data center point of view. 
but lots of digital infrastructure investment going in and you know just just prime young populations generally as well so like i said they're going to skip straight to 5g they're going to go right. e-commerce e-bank they're never going to walk to a bank in their life they're not going to know what the what an atm is even you know it's just going to everything's mm-hmm. going to be on a mobile device um and it all goes through a data center so you know that they're they're we're more focused on growth markets because we believe that's where the next five to ten years of growth comes from interesting cool i don't know if we have uh, much more time left um if there is anything else we should cover cash um darren uh Please go ahead. What's new in Asia Cash, anyways? Do you have some updates from your side as well? Yeah, lots of activity. Um, James Murphy and I, we do a regular weekly roundup uh, on LinkedIn. So we basically take the week's uh, top news stories and condense them into a you know, two to three minute kind of mini podcast. So if anybody is listening in from the US and Europe and want to know, uh, all things hot and cool in data center world Asia, then just uh, add me on, on LinkedIn and follow the weekly roundup. And yeah, nothing for me. I think it was incredibly informative and just like to thank Darren for um, you know, jumping on and giving some insight into you know, his mind, his experience and, and what's ahead for um, evolution. But yes, the market is definitely moving forward and there's, um, you know, there's a ton of uh, capital, there's a ton of investments, um, you know, the major players you'll see making major announcements and, of course, lots of, you know, exciting new startups who are, you know, looking to get that challenger role and, and challenge. And that's what it's about, isn't it? It's about pushing the industry to be the best that they possibly can in, in terms of the, the standards that they set. And COVID's highlighted how important data centers are to, you know, the digital transformation. And I kind of curiously asked Darren yesterday, uh, you know, if data centers didn't exist, you know, what would be the alternative for managing all of these IT loads? What was my answer, Cash? I can't remember. I think we were about You do really remember there, nothing from last night. But, but we agreed that it would most likely go back to... Um, Stone Age. Yeah, well, enter- yeah. You know, enterprises would be doing on-prem, so to some extent... Probably, yeah. Mm. You know, yeah, I mean, the, by their very nature, are, are, uh, are trying but, to be as efficient as possible, right? May I just say, but Cash, it's it's probably a good thing you didn't open up your wallet because it would have been far worse than um, if you had also, you know, <laughs> uh, paid a couple of rounds. Because yeah, anyways, no, but uh, it's it's a great um, it's a, it's been a great overview, Darren. As always, the guest has the last word. Um, so if you want to leave, as Paul says, anything for the future generations, then please do so. And uh, yeah, we wish you good luck yeah, with everything you do. Good luck. So for, firstly, you know, thanks to, to Cash and you, Tim, for 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 the time this evening. Uh, I enjoyed it. So my final thoughts are, uh, you know, I want to be I want to be clear on on what uh, evolution is is doing and what and what it's not doing. You know, we we are looking to learn from the very best out there. And you know, you we've seen some. Uh, if, if I've appeared negative on this call, let me let me turn around some positives. You know, we've seen some great stuff. Green Mountain. I love the reuse of the of the heat for the lobster i'm not sure it was a lobster farm i'm not sure what the phrase is but you know that that was fantastic we think i saw farm vantage come out with some great uh, great self-imposed um uh scope one scope two scope three targets last week this is all good stuff right so so we're not microsoft with the with the commitment for, for no more diesel gen sets by 2030 
we're, we're not looking to be, we're not looking to say we're going to lead it from a tech point of view. We're going to lead it from a learning and implementation point of view. So let's bring the best of the thinking that's going on in other parts of the world. Let's bring it to Asia. And then let's hopefully drive, start to drive a conversation in Asia that says, look, guys, we can do better. We can collectively do better as an industry and play a better part from a sustainability point of view and a societal point of view than we are today. And if we can all do that, that's great because the demand is coming. So let's not, let's not start missing, potentially missing out on the demand because our customers start to say, actually, guys, you can't sort out your own house. I'm going to go start building my own facilities everywhere. I don't need colos anymore. Uh, now, I, I think that's, you know, that, I don't think that's likely to happen, but, but you'll see a trend. You're already seeing a trend for more and more self So I think we've got a lot of work to do in Asia as an industry. Um, I, I'd love to be part of it. Um, but, you know, the, the reality is evolution um, has to also achieve its own goals, right? We have to make sure we can, we can talk the talk. If, if, sorry, we can walk the walk. If we're going to talk about sustainability, CSR, some of this great tech, we have to make sure we, we employ it. So, uh, you know, hold, hold cash, hold me accountable, right? So, um, you know, one thing we've always said, we'd be transparent. So on our website, in our, in our conversations with our clients, if we can do something, we say it, and we can't, we'll say that as well. And people can judge us on, on what we do rather than what we, what, we, uh, what we say. Excellent. Thank you so much, Darren Webb. Thanks, Cash. And uh, yeah, be back soon for a new episode. Cheers, Tim. Cheers, Darren. Thank you. Cheers. Bye-bye. Take care, folks.